Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening. This is Special Topic Thursday, an evening that is tailored to uh, your questions. We have been at this for quite some time now. I was in my queue uh, earlier today, and uh, we have over 50 programs that have been devoted to answering your questions, your very specific questions, just not about Christian or Catholic apologetics, but even some questions that are uh, specific to your uh, journey of faith. Now, in some cases, I respond to you privately, uh, but in other cases, as you request, I take them to air. And uh, so for this evening, uh, you have asked me about the Holy Spirit, and what is really interesting about this question is that, you know, (laughs) I have been on air for, oh, I think now over 10 years, and I have talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, but One of the things that I have really enjoyed about this evening, Thursday evening, Special Topic Thursday, is that it has provided me the opportunity to give to you a topic in one coherent evening, right? So not five minutes there or or five minutes here, but a, a singular focus for about 25 minutes on one topic. That is what this evening has been about. And for this evening, I'm going to answer your question, what is the Holy Spirit And how might I best understand the Holy Spirit out from sacred scripture? Okay, so what is the Holy Spirit and how might I best understand uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit itself in sacred scripture? Okay, so that is what we are going to tackle this evening. And again, uh, this will allow me to talk about things we have already talked about, but yet at the same time, maybe uh, as we are underscoring previous points, engage some new subject matter By the grace of God, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, go I, right? All right. So what is the Holy Spirit? Well, as Monsignor Pope notes, and I I just love this simple definition, within the Blessed Trinity, the Father beholds the Son. Okay, so within the Blessed Trinity, the Father beholds the Son, and in turn, the Son beholds the Father. And there flows from them both, that is, the Father and the Son, between them, a divine love that, brothers and sisters, is so perfect and of such infinite ardor that it is a living love, a divine person that actually exists. And this is what we call uh, the Holy Spirit. This love is the Holy Spirit. You have heard me define the Trinity as Love given, love received, and love shared. That is, the Father gives love, the Son receives love, and the Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. So you have this infinite, perfect, eternal exchange of love, and that love shared is the Holy Spirit. This unity and distinction that brings about an actual person, the Holy Spirit. Now, to have the Holy Spirit living in us, received at baptism, of course, is to be caught up into the very love and life of God. 
So the work of the Holy Spirit is first to sanctify us, to make us holy and pleasing to God. We read in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Greek word there for sanctify is hagiazo, uh, to set us apart, right? In the Old Testament, things were set apart for, for a holy purpose in conjunction with uh, the liturgy, the Old Testament liturgy. Well, now in the New Testament, in the new dispensation of grace, it's just not things that are set apart, but persons that are set apart. And we are set apart in the Holy Spirit. And as we are, the Holy Spirit bestows on us countless graces, countless charisms to transform us, and ultimately, as I've talked about so much, to make us a blessing to others. Now here, we should underscore what we mean when we talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. I I don't want to get too ahead of myself. So to talk about that phrase, specific in its Latin construct, is to identify it in its genitive construct. Okay, so it is a genitive of identity as opposed to a genitive of possession. (laughs) You're probably asking the question, you know, what does that mean? Well, usually you use genitives to speak of possession. Uh, I possess my car, I possess my home, but this is not what is going on here. This is not so much uh, gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us inasmuch as it is the Holy Spirit himself that is given to us. A very important distinction to be made. This, my friends, is the gift. The Holy Spirit himself. The distinct grace of the divine dwelling. That in the Holy Spirit we receive the very identity of God. Not something to possess per se. But an identity that allows us to become the person we are called to be. In him. Which, oh by the way, my friends, is power the very power of life itself. It's uh, interesting, something I have been talking about recently in the account of the Ascension, an account we just heard a few weeks ago, right? Jesus promises his followers that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to bear witness to his saving love. In this passage, the term power comes from the Greek dynamua. This is where we get the word dynamite. Pentecost, what do we read but the Spirit coming upon the apostles? Spiritual dynamite, my friends, went off as a sound came from heaven like like the rush of a mighty wind. The sound here, of course, was like that of a thunderous clapping noise, which echoes the fiery descent of God on Mount Sinai in the Exodus account, right? Now, another word used for power in sacred scripture is energia. The love we receive and the power of the Holy Spirit is like a force of energy putting into motion the very life of God. This active power is, is of course, what we receive in the sacrament of confirmation, our own Pentecost, if you will. In the sacrament of confirmation, the gifts we receive at baptism are stirred by a new energy in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that empower within us to live a more dynamic life for God and inspire us boldly to proclaim who Jesus Christ is and why he came. Incidentally, 
Here, I never missed a chance to highlight some key words. We're talking about the Greek meaning of power. What about the word inspiration? Uh, the Latin there is inspirare or inspiratio, which translates as to inspire, uh, to blow into, or to inflame. When we dwell in the warmth and presence of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, our hearts are set on fire by the very flame of God's love. So we could say to be inspired in its truest sense is to live in the fire of God's love. It should come to no surprise to us that one of the great images of the Holy Spirit is that of fire. Tongues of fire came to rest upon the first disciples. So do for us. Does the Holy Spirit light the fire of God's love within us, purifying us, refining away impurities, and instilling in us with increasing perfection the very life, love, and glory of God? So fire is an important image to the Holy Spirit, as is tongue. I think I mentioned this last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. Why tongue? Don't let anything fall too far away from you when it comes to images in sacred scripture. Why tongue? Because the tongue is what we use to worship. The tongue is what we use to sing. If we are going to worship the right way, if we are going to sing the right way, our tongues should be tongues of fire, tongues of that praise and worship the one true God who is love, who is fire. Powerful stuff. Another image of the Holy Spirit, of course, is that of the aforementioned rushing wind that came upon the disciples at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came like that of a rushing wind, this thunderous clapping noise. Now, the word spirit means breath. So we could see or translate that God's love is a breath that is like a powerful wind that breathes life into souls. In the book of Genesis, God is literally breathing life into man mouth to mouth. You see, the wind is not some abstract force. You feel it, you can see it as the, the trees blow left or right. It's something that is uh, both vigorous and intimate. Wind can be vigorous, and to some degree, when the wind is blowing hard, yeah, it can also be intimate. So, yeah, wind, wind does bring about something that should communicate God's love, but never reduce it to some just abstract force that, that you think you cannot see, because what you do see is its effects, and that's important, and its effects are forceful, intimate. So God, the Holy Spirit, breathes new life into us. And by his power, we become more and more alive in the new life that Christ has purchased for us, a new mind by the Spirit's inspiration, and a new heart by his love. So a growing transformation and a share in every good and perfect gift by his grace, by his inspiration, brothers and sisters in Christ, we become more whole in him, which in a very paradoxical way, as the first beatitude reminds us, that is becoming more poor in him. What do we read in that first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you are a faithful listener to this radio program, you know 
that that first beatitude is what is foundational to our whole moral life in Christ. Uh-huh. Absolutely foundational. If you're listening to this video program for the first time, then uh, let it be understood that the first beatitude is quintessential to the spiritual life. Absolutely quintessential. What do I mean? Well, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, again, here, the Greek word for spirit is panuma. As I already noted, it can be translated as wind, but also breath. And so within the context of this beatitude, we are made to see this kind of in the context of how we might think of the air we breathe. Blessed are those who long for God the same way our lungs long for air. We read in Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 to 2, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. So my soul thirsts for you, O God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? There's this longing, there's this, um, as St. Teresa of Avila would speak to it, wounded ache to see God's face. So you see, my friends, all that matters is God and God alone. That thirsting, that longing, that aching, that pining for God. That's what this first beatitude is about. Let us hit the pause button here. Think about when you were in courtship with your beloved, right? And maybe you are there now where in that initial courtship, you just couldn't stop thinking about that person. Or as your courtship has gone deeper and, and the love has become all the more beautiful, you still can't stop thinking about that person. I mean, and, and what I'm saying here is you really can't stop thinking about that person. It, it, it just preoccupies all of your thoughts. It preoccupies all of your time. Everywhere you go and everything that you do, you just can't stop thinking about that person. That is what is going on in the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To long for God, the same way our lungs long for air. So really, even to say this is analogous to our courtship with our beloved is to still yet come up short, right? Because that, practically speaking, is, is not the same as the way our lungs long for air. You take, take away air for but a few minutes, and what happens, right? You're grasping, you're pining, it, it, it's deep. It goes to the core. There is nothing else that is going to get in your way, right? Why do these stewardesses, as the plane is taxing and you're, you're ready to depart, they go through all of the rules and regulations, and what do they say? In the case of emergency, in the case of the loss of cabin pressure, before you go to your neighbor's aid, make sure that you grab the mask first for you. Because it, if you don't grab the oxygen mask, you won't be able to properly help your neighbor because you're going to be preoccupied with the need for oxygen, with the need for air. The same thing is going on in the first beatitude. My dear friends, this ache is what lies at the heart of our going deeper in God. And so it is, this is what lies at the heart of our prayer. And it is the Holy Spirit who is the protagonist of this prayer, of this going deeper. What do I mean? Well, you ask me, 
what is the Holy Spirit and how are we to how are we to better understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our life out from sacred scripture? Well, consider Paul in Romans chapter 8 verses 22 to 27. What does he say there? We know that the whole creation has been groaning in travail together until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, Paul says, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, Paul continues, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here we see that, again, the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of all good things as all good things flow from a life of prayer. We have the great and lasting image of Christ healing the deaf man, healing the mute man, as he puts one hand in one ear and the other hand after he spit into it onto the tongue of this man who cannot speak, who cannot hear he looks up to heaven and he groans, he, he sighs, he moans. Why does he do this? Is it because he's tired? <laughs> Is it because he's in a whining mood? Is it because he's upset at God for not coming through? No, no, don't be silly. It's none of that. It's because he's praying from the innermost place of his being. He's doing what, what St. Paul is talking about here. And, and as such, he's setting himself as, as a kind of electric current. Right earlier, we were talking about the power of the Holy Spirit being this, this energy, this electric current of love. Well, as Jesus looks up to heaven and he sighs and he moans and he groans there in Mark, Mark chapter 9, he sets himself up like a current with his hands in the mouth and in ears of this, of this man. He's praying. He's, he's interceding. This is how we are called to pray. John Paul II, he was asked, how do you pray? He says, well, I, I pray as the Spirit leads me to pray. <laughs> right? I had a uh, professor friend years ago tell me that he was in a private audience with John Paul II and he was praying by his side on one occasion and he was moaning and he was groaning and he was sighing and he thought something was wrong with the Holy Father and he actually asked him, is everything okay? And he says, oh, well, yes, I'm just praying. <laughs> you know? He's praying as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to pray. Okay, very important on any discussion on the Holy Spirit when we reflect into what the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit is to work in our life. Now, how about John chapter 3, verses 34 to 35? I think there's another important point to be had here. There we read, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For it is not by measure that he gives the Spirit, 
The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Did you hear what John just said? For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for it is not by measure that he gives the Spirit. You see, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So what John is talking about and what, of course, our Lord is saying there is, hey, the Father does not portion out his Spirit. All that I have, I give to you. And I think this is so important for us today because I think we tend to think within the context of portioning out, right? I mean, as a father and husband, I do this all the time. I portion out money. A little bit goes to this, a little bit goes to that. I portion out uh, how I spend my time. I'm going to spend a little time over here. I'm going to spend a little time over there. We portion out everything. So as John, and more specifically our Lord, speaks to the reality that God the Father in his infinite love does not portion out, we are to see that, yeah, God's love is limitless. Limitless. You've heard me talk about this before. It was uh, Father Dave Pavanka in a reflection he gave on this where he makes note, consider that 80% of the whole planet is made up of water. I mean, there are sections of our oceans, bottoms that we have never seen before. It's just such a difficult thing to, to get our head around how much water that really is. And yet, what is striking about it is, in the end, well, there is an end to water. That is to say, it is limited. Okay? Why? Because 80% is not 100%. The same could be said of many things that, that might be difficult to imagine. What about the grains of sand on all the beaches across the world? I suppose if you gathered everyone around to count the grains of sand, it might take a thousand lifetimes, but you can do it. Why? Because the grains of sand are limited. Yeah, you go to a beach as far as the eye can see to the left and, and as far as the eye can see to the right. It's hard to imagine that you can actually count grains of sand, but you can in principle. You see, my friends, God's love is limitless. And this reality itself is in itself one of the great truths of God's love. And I punctuate this point with that because some of us may tend to think about God's limitless love and see that it doesn't have any boundaries. That's not what I'm talking about here, okay? Love always has boundaries because if you, if you cross certain lines, there's going to be consequence. What does Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? Sin no more, right? You have encountered my limitless, infinite, merciful love. Now sin no more. <laughs> okay. Now sin no more. Okay, how are we doing on time? Well, I was pondering whether or not to get into how the Holy Spirit operates in the soul, let me say this, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit gives to us certain graces and gifts. And, and here I am thinking about the sevenfold gift of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Isaiah chapter 11. We don't have time to get into all of those right now. But with our remaining time, I do think it would behoove us to consider 
how the gifts of the Holy Spirit develop in the life of the soul. Okay, so how the gifts of wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord, those gifts we read about in Isaiah 11, develop in the life of the soul. And here I'm just going to touch upon three principles in real brief that come to us from the great theologian on the Holy Spirit, Archbishop Martinez. Uh, First, the practice of charity. As we know, charity is the greatest virtue, right? The, the, the willing of the good of other for the sake of other with no expectation for anything in return. That's the definition of love. That's the definition of charity. So under reason, we choose to act. And as we choose to act for other, we are then moved deeper in and through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So now under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we love as the Holy Spirit would have us love, which in turn influences the practice of other virtues. And this, my friends, leads to the second point, that when we practice virtue in relation to charity, those other virtues become more and more common, okay? Does not one virtue attract other virtues? So the more you fall in love with one virtue, the more you will fall in love with the the whole supernatural organism that possesses the whole life of virtue, So God reserves the right to give certain virtues to certain souls that more virtue may be acquired later. And the last point for Martinez here, and again, I'm just blowing through this, um, is attentiveness. Attentiveness to the promptings and inspirations of the Holy Spirit. And here we mean to speak to that vital and receptive awareness of His presence. We are always to remember that the lived experience of the Holy Spirit includes what but being prompted by the Holy Spirit, prompted to very specific acts. And when we are sensitive to those promptings, this allows the gifts of the Holy Spirit to operate in our souls and to manifest in very concrete acts in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.